Hi there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Music Is More podcast. I'm your host, Ayana, and on today's episode, we are going to be talking about Kelly Clarkson's latest project, Chemistry. I'm really, really excited. So let's go ahead and get started. If you're unfamiliar with the format of this show, primarily, this is a music review type podcast. I'm going through the album. I'm talking about what I liked, what I didn't like. But then we get into the Music Is More segment of the Music Is More podcast, in which I talk a little bit more about the underlying concepts and themes. We have like an open discussion forum. I tell you all my thoughts and opinions. That's kind of how it's going to play out. So I hope you're ready. I hope you're interested. Let's go ahead and get right into it. Music is more. So for all the newcomers, what's on the docket for today is the same as what is usually on the docket. And that is first, I chit chat about me and Kelly, tell you all about how I feel about her. And then we get into the basics of the album. I tell you some of the stats, what the artist has said about the album before moving on to a song by song breakdown and iterating through all of the songs on the album, expressing my thoughts and opinions, then wrap that up with a general review of the album before moving on to the Music Is More segment of the Music Is More podcast, where I am liable to talk about literally anything. I don't ever really know what I'm going to talk about before I actually get to the Music Is More segment of the Music Is More podcast. This is another example, this episode. I've got no clue what I'm going to chit chat about. We're going to, I'm going to talk and I'm going to go through all the songs. And then by the time we get to the music is more segment, I'll have whatever theme I want to discuss at length. And then we'll get into the nitty gritty, the deep and dirty, all of that, which I'm always excited for. Hope you're excited too. So stay tuned. We're going to go ahead and get started. Me and Kelly have a long, long history as anyone who has, who was born like before the year 2000 usually does with me with Kelly me and Kelly have a nice little history because back in the day she was the first ever winner of American Idol as a kid I was really obsessed with American Idol I love American Idol um to hear my mom tell it, I was supposed to be on a kid's version of American Idol went to auditions but then they wanted me to fly myself out and I was like, no, it might have just been a scam, but you get the point. Like, <laughs> I was obsessed so much that I was willing to go and audition for it and <laughs> try and be on American Idol. Love American Idol. And I love Kelly, right? Kelly, first season, first winner is part of the reason why I think the American public has so much love for this for the series. And American Idol has had like 20 seasons. It's gotten progressively worse over the years, as most things do. Um, But part of the reason why I think it lasted so long is because of that nostalgia and that beautiful feeling that watching the first winner ever, Kelly Clarkson, take home the crown really instills in you. And in those first couple seasons, like there were some really great winners, like um, a couple of people. (laughs) I don't want to name. I, I I blanked as soon as I tried to start naming them. Um, like Fantasia won American Idol. Kelly Clarkson, Ruben Stutter, Fantasia, Carrie Underwood, Jordan Sparks, David Cook. 
I think David Archuleta was on it, but didn't win it. Scotty McCreary. I feel like Scotty McCreary was really the last one I ever paid attention to. Season 10 or 11. Season 10. Okay, anyway. Less about American Idol, more about me and Kelly Clarkson. (laughs) So, big part of my childhood, I would say. And I have a lot of love for her. I think she's so great. Um, First of all, she's a great singer. Live. Unfiltered vocals. It's giving. Yeah. Yeah, she's one of the best vocalists ever. Period, point blank, right? Then she's so, she appears to be so sweet, so kind, so humble, down to earth. Like, I love that for her. I think she got famous just at the right time, you know, and just the right amount to not mess her up real bad, (laughs) I think. Um, and despite knowing her and knowing of her and knowing lots of her music across my lifetime, I've never really been like a dedicated fan because she just was Kelly Clarkson and I just knew her music. So I've never listened to like an album front to back critically from her. And, you know, shame on me for taking Kelly Clarkson for granted, but no more. Because I'm listening to this album. I'm excited to, I was excited to start listening to this album and really just, you know, check back in with her after several years of like casual, passive listening. We're going back. We're seeing who she is. We're listening to what she has to say. So that's about me and Kelly. Let's get into the basics of this actual album. (laughs) Chemistry was released Friday, June 23rd. It's got 14 songs and a 44 minute and 45 seconds runtime. Full length album from Kelly and more on this album and the circumstances of this album in particular. Kelly Clarkson went through a relatively public divorce and from what I hear, quite painful divorce from her husband um, uh, maybe a few years ago. This album has been under construction for several years um, as she iterated through the process of getting divorced from her husband. And uh, this is the first full-length album after the fact of her divorce. She's got kids. She won the ranch, but she had to pay him alimony. Like, it's very crazy, the whole divorce thing in general, but then to, like, Having a divorce, I'm sure, colors your life. (laughs) You know, it's a big event in one's life. And to get the music after having gone through that, definitely an altered perspective, I think. And, you know, not saying that art can't exist without pain, but I think we'd be listening to a completely different album had she not gone through what she's gone through, right? Divorce is kind of final, right? (laughs) In a way that like marriage trouble isn't, right? So I think we would have gotten a project that was a bit more effusive about, you know, her life had it not actually been a divorce that she went through and just like a rough patch. 
You know, does that make sense? Not saying that it wouldn't have been great either way, but this is very distinctly colored by her life circumstance, which is the big divorce. Anyway, and, you know, uh, Kelly Clarkson has also stated that she didn't want it to be too much about like divorce and sadness and pain, but about the entire life cycle of like a relationship and the ups and downs and the and for it to run the gamut of all of the experiences that falling in love and then being heartbroken can can uh, um, engender in somebody. Some more stats. This album was produced by um, and a mi- it's a mix of longtime collaborators and newcomers. So as we iterate through the songs, I think you can kind of see that. Um, in some ways, she stays true to her roots. And then some ways she branches out, gets a little newness, a little fun. Um, so I think it was a good combination. Uh, there are collaborations with Steve Martin and Sheila E on this album. And two singles were released. Double A-side singles, Mine Slash Me and Favorite Kind of High. And uh, yeah, Kelly Clarkson is also credited as a writer on almost all of these tracks. We love a writing queen. We love to know that, you know, the thoughts and feelings expressed are really authentic to her and her system situation. Really authentic and really specific, you know. Specifically, this is Kelly talking about her life. So those are some of the basics. Let's get into the song by song breakdown. We've got 14 tracks to iterate through, so bear with me. Sometimes I can be really um talkative here. We'll see what happens. <laughs> the album opens with skip this part. No intro straight into the into the meat and potatoes. Skip this part, a full-length song. It's very romantic sounding. You know, it's slow, it's beautiful, it's epic. But then it's also very sad when you think about, you know, what she's saying. And it takes me on a bit of a roller coaster. It's like the plot of a movie but with a twist at the ends, right? We're doing this big, beautiful musical moment. It's beautiful and it's romantic. And then we have this really disconcerting ending. We take a sharp (laughs) right turn. Um, At the end, it gets dissonant. It gets, you know, kind of distorted. I think the key changes, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. But the volume (laughs) increases, you know, it really kind of, puts you in her place within the song she's talking about skipping this part she's like i really don't want to have to experience this negative portion of the relationship like i would rather fast forward through this part of the movie if possible but instead of being able to fast forward we don't actually fast forward we experience that disconcerting part that she really wanted to skip in that ending segment of the song and i think that's so smart artistically takes me on that ride with her um yeah and then the tone like the musical tone like I said is kind of romantic it reminds me of a rom-com but then what she's saying is very sad and tired and almost resigned she's like can we can we just please skip this part like I'm over this (laughs) um and you know we've been there sometimes I'm sure um and then you think too about her experience of her divorce probably and 
the things that she's describing, like, I think that Southern people are sometimes the most cruel. Like, we often, on its face, it looks like we're being supportive and kind and nurturing. But in reality, Southern people can be some of the most judgmental and cruel people. There's tons of rumors and gossips that happen when you are in a Southern community. You know, partially. And there's, you know, there's good and there's bad, but it's really bad when I'm going through a divorce and you're gossiping about me, man. (laughs) Like, can we skip this part? And I feel like she's very um, candid here and being like, I really don't want to have to experience this at all. (laughs) Please. Um, So shout out to Kelly Clarkson. I think it was a good. I think it was a good first song in that it sets you up right she's like look this is a crappy moment in my life right now everyone's watching (laughs) i wish i could skip this part instead of having to um go through it but in this album we get into all of the emotion and all of the emotion and all of the good and bad parts of being in this relationship. So I, I like that she picked this for the intro. Great, great start. And um, a lyric that I liked too for this one, she goes, are you happy now? Will you ever be? And that is the question. People who self-sabotage in relationships thinking that they are going to achieve their happiness or their fulfilling life via hurting someone else, they will not. (laughs) Will you ever be is the crux of the issue. Are you happy now? That's really not important. The truth is he's probably not. But he's thinking, you know, or this person could be thinking that, This choice is going to be the happiness, right? They're thinking that, but are they actually happening? Probably not. And then the more pressing, the bigger, the scarier question is, will you ever be, right? Will you ever be? If you're not aware enough to realize that you're not actually experiencing true happiness by self-sabotaging yourself, if you're not there, that then you're never going to reach that nirvana that you're searching so hard for because you haven't even recognized that you're not, your, your decisions are not causing you to experience joy. You get what I'm saying? So I love that she's in on that, right? That is the more important question. Not, is he happy now? Will he ever be happy? Right? Yeah. I love that. Okay, great. I think throughout the rest of the album, too, we see that she's got like a wisdom about her, Uh, (laughs) a wisdom, uh, a self-awareness, a level of introspection uh, that I think will serve her into the future. Next, we go to Mine. Like I said, Mine was one of the singles for this album. Um, And I. I understand Mine but I also don't resonate with it as much. You know the feeling when you wish that, <laughs> you wish that the person who has hurt you or betrayed you could understand 
what they've done to you by experiencing it themselves, right? And I understand the urge to want that, right? To get that revenge, to get that reciprocation, to know that this person is not just moving on unscathed from what they've done to you. Simultaneously, I think some people aren't capable of feeling that, right? (laughs) Of feeling the depth of betrayal that you might have felt because they have never felt so deeply for another person that they could experience the level of hurt that you experience. You love this person so fucking much, so deeply, that their betrayal has cut you, you know, super, super hard, deep in your soul. But if this person is not capable of extending themselves to another person that way emotionally, then they'll never experience the depth of what you've experienced because they're incapable of that feeling. You know what I'm saying? So I get that. I get the urge to want to see that. But I just think that often they can't like sometimes you just get hurt by people who are like herders. Herders. Um, for mine, I don't, I didn't really like the progression musically. I felt like the bridge kind of came from nowhere. I want to give this a couple more listens though, to see if I like it better in other contexts. I think I listened to this also, um, live and I liked it more, uh, but I can't remember right now. (laughs) Um, yeah, I like the final course more than I like the others. And I think it's the fine, the extended fine, that doesn't make that much sense to me. If you get what I'm saying. If you listen to that song, you'll know what I'm talking about. And it's that extension that throws me off sonically. But in that final chorus, there's not the extension of those final words like um, fine. What does she say? Yeah. Go ahead and break my heart. That's fine. Yeah. In the in the in the uh, final chorus, she just goes, "Go ahead and break my heart. That's fine." Instead of fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my half-ass rendition. Um. But yeah. Great. Next high road. Love this. I wrote in my notes. Come on, drums. <laughs> Um, and, oh, me and the high road. I, first of all, let me just talk about the song sonically. Love the song. If there's one thing that Kelly Clarkson is going to do, it's sing you to the ground, my love. She be singing. In this song, she reminds me of Pink and Lady Gaga a bit. You know, a pop ballad, maybe. She's singing her heart out and she's saying something meaningful. <laughs> love the bridge and love her voice. She's just good like that. Now, let's talk about the actual content of the uh, of the of the song because the high road. I understand the desire to take the high road and often you will find me advocating for the high road. But when people are bitches it's like dang like let's go to hell together let me get off the high road let me take this detour that you want me to take so fucking bad and i'll take you to hell (sighs) i understand the high road 
And I admire people who can take the high road consistently because you are experiencing like, I think, you know, people who can take the high road and not feel burdened by taking the high road. You're a good person. You know, you're a well-adjusted person. (laughs) And usually I can do that as well. But in something so personal, like a romantic relationship or a divorce, I don't know that I would be capable (laughs) of taking the high road, you know, work stuff, strangers. I can take the high road. Sure. You know, no sweat off my back to be the bigger person, but you've betrayed me (laughs) to hell. (laughs) Um, so there's that. And I also hate feeling like people are insisting I take the high road because he did not take the high road. So (laughs) the transaction, I just feel, (laughs) I feel unbalanced here and I hate, yeah, if, if it's of my own volition, it's chill, but I don't like people who are like, you should take the high road. Oh, after he screwed me. Because I also think that, you know, sometimes this high road thing is weaponized so that you can't be upset about it as well. So maybe it's that part that I don't like. Anyway, um, this song also made me think, you know, what is a strong woman? What does that mean? She describes what she's been taught a strong woman is in this song. You know, cover up your fears, putting others first, stuff like that. She goes, if there's no task, I just assume one. I feel the burden performed for no one. Womanhood is so complex. Okay. You know, the quote that's like, you know, there is a man inside of me, like watching me <laughs> all the time. The man. Mm-hmm. There's a, a voyeur, a, a male voyeur inside of me watching me perform my, my womanhood <laughs> at all times policing me inside of me there is a man anyway you know you get the you get the reference but you know there are parts of it that are chill like being able to detach and being able to take the high road without feeling like it's a burden but there's also parts that are detrimental right like being able to say your emotions and express frustration and anger and hurt right or feeling like you can't lean on people for support stuff like that but it's important to find the balance right to find the balance what is yours what is your feeling what is your heart what is your body leading you to do Is it leading you to take the high road or is it leading you to get dirty? And if it's leading you to get dirty, then that's okay too. But often I feel like it's an either or situation. Okay, great. (laughs) Great loved high road. Next song is me. This was another single. I love her lower register as I feel that I usually love women's lower registers it's just a comfort comforting feeling a stable feeling a beautiful feeling and her lower register also has a a wonderful vibrato that I don't think is always 
showcase when she's up high and belting. It's really warm and comforting and strong. Yeah, this song, very, very hardcore gospel vibes. And I have a, you know, love for the genre of gospel. Some of the best singers and songstresses out there have their roots, you know, in church singing. (laughs) Um, Love this one. Now, let's talk about, again, the composition of what she's saying here. What she's describing here is the biggest flex. Mm -hmm. After someone who wanted you to be dependent on them has made you dependent on them and then has abused your trust in them, I think the biggest flex, and you're probably not even worried about what is a flex to them, but the biggest flex is when you show them that you never needed them to begin with. What people like this often get wrong is the idea that you need them, that you couldn't without them. The truth is, a lot of the time, I have chosen to need you. Somebody like Kelly Clarkson, you know, somebody like anyone, name any, (laughs) name any woman, somebody like her, (laughs) somebody like Kelly Clarkson does not actually need you. They have chosen to need you. And I think that's the best. I think that's the best. That's the ideal situation, right? I don't need need you, you know. It's not life or death that you are here with me, but I want to need you. You know, I want to weave you into the fabric of my life and make a place for you and need you. I want to choose to need you. I think that's the ideal situation for myself anyway. But somebody like Kelly Clarkson did not really need you. And where you get me wrong is thinking that you ever get me in a bind so bad that I can't fucking live without you. I'm about to show you something. (laughs) I wanted to need you. But since you've proven yourself untrustworthy, I no longer do. All right, demoted. And watch me do this shit even better without you. You loser. And that's what I want to say to Kelly Clarkson's husband. Okay. Or her ex-husband to be particular. She could have been flying this whole time, but she chose to need you. Chose to want you. And then you fucked that up. So now I got a flex on you. I have never needed. (laughs) I I wanted to need you. I can't even want to need you because you're fucking up. Loser. All right. Love this one. Next one. Down to you. Love this one too. Real cool. Real confident. A little sassy. I wasn't really sure where we were going with this in the beginning, but it was fun. A little pop, a little bit of rock. Like, yeah, get, get into it. I like down to you a lot. 
And as I mentioned before, that I think the new blood kind of breathes in some more pop, some more, you know, rock into this. It's young, it's hip. Like I could see the girlies getting down to down to you. Next one, chemistry, the namesake, the title track. I text my friend the other day and I was like, chemistry is one of the most beautiful songs I've heard all year. And I'm being dead ass. Like she's singing so beautifully. The whole sonic soundscape of this fucking song is beautiful. There's not even that much going on, but the harmonies that she chooses, the stripped back instrumental on this, and then this absolutely exceptional songwriting, right? This song made me feel like I wanted to write a song. <laughs> she is great at it. It's just good. I love chemistry. It's one of my favorites. I like it a lot. And back to the point, <laughs> back to some of the stuff that she said about this album. She wanted it to run the gamut of experiences. So we were in the trenches a little bit, you know, <laughs> at the beginning of the album. But here it's so beautifully, so beautifully depicting of that beginning love, you know, that that helplessly falling in love. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Mm. <laughs> It's beautiful. I hope that she feels that feeling again. You know? Ooh, makes it tingle a little. Next one, favorite kind of high. This one, fun, a bit sexy. Yeah, flirty is the word I want to use. You know, the dichotomy of having a great time with a person and also then not having such a great time. Like, you're my favorite kind of high, but also you're a drug. Like, you're bad for me. <laughs> uh, you know, I love the favorite kind of high. Watch, one, watch a video of her performing it live. It was great live, too. Like, get it. I love the breakdown on the last chorus. I love a breakdown, personally. Favorite kind of high? Yes. The girlies would also listen to favorite kind of high. After that, we go to Magic. This is one of my best friend's favorite songs. I like magic and I like the music and magic. It's not my favorite. I, my question is for Kelly, you know, <laughs> was it all worth it? My interpretation of magic is that she feels that this feeling, this love that they share is so magical that it can save them, right? I'm working that magic on you. I'm hoping that this magic will work and save us. She knows that it's like, it's unlikely, <laughs> shot in the dark. But she's like, it's a magic. Like, I'm still believing. I'm still hoping. And pouring in so much, right? Pouring in so much, even though my heart is weak. Even though I'm black and blue and they're telling me not to, it doesn't mean I'm the fool because I, this is magic. I'm working my magic on you. And I just wonder 
a lot of people will say, you know, it was all worth it in the end, even though it didn't work out. But I really wonder, like, do you look back on the moments that made you really have to lean on the idea of magic for your relationship to continue to work out? Do you look back at those times and say, that's a red flag? I should not have been so so out of options that it had to be magic, that it had to be like a prayer, you know, that was holding us together, you know? Yeah, it's magic and it can be magical, but like, is magic enough? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't take away from the value of your magic of you, you know, insisting, of you continuing to work for it and continuing to pray for it. It doesn't take away from your effort, I don't think. But at the end of the day, it can't just be your magic holding the two of you up together. You know what I'm saying? After that, we go to Lighthouse, another great one. Lighthouse is like, to me, a sad song. I want to read the lyrics again to see if I'm right. Like. Yeah, no, it was just, it's sad. <laughs> I looked at the first line. I'm like, yeah, no. I'm so confused, lover. Did I mistake love and pain? I think you did. And that's okay. I think we, I said this on the Summer Walker episode, but like the default, she said this was one of her first times falling in love and also getting her heart broken. And I think that your default settings if you don't do any work beforehand, your default settings for romantic partners, I don't think it's ever going to be congruent, especially if you didn't grow up in a healthy, at least a romantically healthy household. You know, if you didn't have a good role model, a good understanding of what it means to be in a healthy romantic relationship, then your Factory settings for romantic relationship, those first couple that you try out, I don't think that you're thinking about health, right? That you, what you're going to desire out of the gate is going to be that healthy thing. It's going to be the thing that looks like what you know. And usually (laughs) that is not the healthy thing for you. (laughs) You get what I'm saying? Go listen to the other episode to hear more about it (laughs) but (laughs) you know what are you gonna do so this was her first real love and also her first real heartbreak and so I think that's what we're seeing right is is a breakdown of what you know she came to realize she desired was not what she opted into at the at the beginning maybe also parasocial relationships. I'm just listening to the art, putting the pieces together. <laughs> um, and yeah, Lighthouse really puts me in the mind of, you know, the heartbreak after you've tried it really hard. Everybody knows that one. When you've tried really hard. Uh, like, damn it. She also, throughout this entire album, grapples with the uncertainty that you're left with after a betrayal. After somebody has betrayed you and you start second guessing everything. 
uh, a horrible feeling. Like I was so wrong about this person. And you kind of iterate through all of your past interactions and say, was he being genuine here or was he being fake? (laughs) Was I being played here or did I, you know, and you just start second guessing yourself. And that is not a fun feeling. Musically, Lighthouse, instead of crescendoing like a typical song will do at the end, it just fades away. Artistically, a great choice, but so sad. <laughs> uh, next song, Rock Hudson. Um, listen to this one first. Out of all of the songs, I had heard this one separately and not in the context of the album. Didn't even realize she had released a full album. I was just like, ooh, look, a single. I like this. <laughs> um, had to look up who Rock Hudson was. I knew she was alluding to somebody, but I was like, yeah, you were my Rock Hudson. I had no clue who the hell Rock Hudson was. Apparently, Rock Hudson was an American actor, very popular and very prolific. And also, yeah, very, he, she um, references too throughout this album rom coms. I'm not a rom-com aficionado or anything, but I caught a couple stray references to like a movie scene, not just in this one, heavily in this one, Rock Hudson, but also throughout the rest of the album as well. (sighs) Then also in Rock Hudson, she alludes, lots of references being made in Rock Hudson, but then she also alludes to Piece by Piece, which is a song from another project when she was still married and in piece by piece she's talking about oh and i was just talking about this too (laughs) she was talking about her dad in piece by piece and how he was not a good husband or a father not husband i don't know if he was her he was married to her mom but how he was not fully present for her oh jesus listen and okay, piece by piece, great song. Go listen to it so you can get the, the vibes. But then here she references it to say, by the way, piece by piece, I found out my hero's me because in piece by piece, she kind of says like, you know, my husband has helped heal me by seeing how he fathers our children. And here she's like, yeah, 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 that's fine. But my hero is actually me, you know? Okay, great. Get it, Kelly. You <laughs> were uh, my Rock Hudson. And also, you know, Rock Hudson, movie star, it's an act. It's a movie. It's a scene. And it's not real. Damn. After that, we go to My Mistake. <laughs> my Mistake. <sighs> my Mistake has some hints as to how the issue unfolded. She goes, falling into love, that ain't no excuse. Why'd it take a stranger to break the news? And I get no prize for being innocent. Ooh, beep, boop, bop, boop. A beep, boop, bop. Yeah. Again, with the questioning of yourself and your reality after a breakup, right? Must have been my mistake, right? I must have misremembered this. Because now she's questioning everything because am I crazy or was he crazy and a liar? And the 
the whole thing is, it's not your mistake. Men are liars, right? How could it have been your mistake? And I think that's the whole crux of the of this song, right? She's like, I guess it's my mistake when you told me exactly what you said. <laughs> it must have been, I must be rem- misremembering the explicit vows that you made to me on our wedding day. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Silly old me mistaking that you meant that you were going to be in a monogamous relationship with me for the rest of our lives. I must be misremembering that part. You fucking bitch. What a woman. <laughs> so, yes. But I'm like, yeah, it's not your mistake. Uh, fuck that guy. After that, we go to Red Flag Collector. It's giving Western movie. It's giving epic standoff. I didn't live for the musical arrangement of this song, but it was better the live version, in my opinion. And more like little pieces. I wish, at, in my heart of hearts, I love a good piece of gossip. I do. I'm nosy to a fault, right? So I'm listening to these songs and I'm just picking up little pieces of what I think might have gone on. Play cowboy. What? I'm just trying to piece it together. Like, but also I'm like, don't try and piece it together too hard. Like, it's not your business. <laughs> red flag collector. She's collecting them, but she's not realizing <laughs> that they're red flags yet. She's just collecting them. She's like, ooh, shiny. Let me put this in my, in my collection. And only after the fact, he's like, oh, my God, I've been collecting bombs. <laughs> there are grenades where my rock collection once was. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good song concept. Anyway, next one, I Hate Love featuring Steve Martin. I, I was listening for Steve Martin here, but I guess he's not actually singing. He's just collaborating and maybe playing the banjo. Yeah, I don't know what Steve's doing on this because he's not singing, but he, I guess he's there. And it's just really above my head. The same with Sheila E. It's above my head a little bit, and that's fine. Banjo, love that. Kind of ironic. Love that. Rom-com and the, like, you know, <laughs> I hate love. <laughs> um, but also, like, I'm sure she's like, yeah, fuck you guys. In the rom-coms, because what the hell? I am having a bad time. After I hate love, we go to That's Right, featuring Sheila E. That's Right was a good way to end the album, in my opinion. It's kind of positive. You know, it's persevering. I'm taking back my time. I'm taking back my freedom. And I'm moving on into the future without you. Yes, ma'am. All right. And that rounds out our song by song breakdown. Let's talk about this album in general. I thought that this was very much a divorce album and not in a bad way you know but it's very much like the end i've come out on the other side alive here are my thoughts and my you know experiences and my takeaways it depicted the experiences of this marriage into divorce 
the complex feelings, the thoughts that come up with like breaking it up with a long-term partner, that feeling of like, I really like you. We have chemistry. I'm falling hard for you. You're getting me high. And then also you have left me high and dry. You've done me so wrong. You're a liar, a cheater, a gaslighter, scumbag man. (laughs) All of that was in this album. I appreciate her introspection. Women are so beautiful. I just love that. Like she's thinking critically. She only assigned to him like minimal blame, I feel. She did not like lambast him the way that she could have on this album. Like she could have really spilled the beans, but she didn't. Instead, a lot of this stuff, you know, on this album is she's talking about herself and who she's becoming and how she's feeling. And not necessarily all the horrible things that I'm sure he did. (laughs) So I feel very like proud of her that that is where she's at. You know, that she seems to be really like taking the high road and not regretting anything about it. You know? So good. And it's complicated because there are good parts of this relationship, you know, that I'm sure she wants to keep close to her heart while simultaneously moving on and healing from all of the hurt that this relationship has caused her. So I think this this album did a really good job of expressing all of those things and encompassing all of these various emotional states here. Musically, I really like this album. I think genre-wise, it kind of jumped around a bit, but I didn't hate that. I don't hate that in albums. I don't think an album has to be a single genre as long as it takes me on a story. And I think this one really did like in a way that it might not have been cohesive genre rise. And that's still up for debate because I think they were all closely associated, if a little bit different and distinct. Anyway, what it might not have (laughs) where while it might not have matched exactly genre wise, the story is still there. Right. And that really brings it all together. It's cohesive that way. We did a little bit of pop. We did a little bit of rock. We did some gospel in there. You know, I think most of the instrumentals were really good. There are a few instances where, you know, the progression musically didn't really resonate with me. Um, I mentioned a couple of them. Like, was it me? No, not me. Mine. Mine. You know, I was like, "Eh, maybe a little not so much. Um, and then, yeah. Oh, and Red Flag Collector. Minor Red Flag Collector I didn't like as much, um, musically. Um, and I felt like the live versions maybe a little bit, a little bit better. Um, I'm gonna give them a couple more listens, though, to see if I change my mind. Yeah, so, it was good, in my opinion, musically. Um, also, we cannot move on from the musically section without mentioning how great of a singer she is. Like, please, please sing. Oh, God. I hope Kelly Clarkson sings for the rest of her life. Like, she's just a gift, really. She's just got a gift. She is a gift. She be singing. And that's what I say. Songwriting, not only does she sing, but then she writes these awesome songs. (laughs) She's a great songwriter. This album was an exercise in good songwriting. And it was very well written. It was very illustrative, you know, lyrically of the time that she was going through. It was very authentic. It was very transparent. 
very relatable. It was kind of vulnerable in some of the places. You know, she ex- she explores some of these things that are really complex to talk about. You know, when you're thinking about what is a strong woman, what have I been trained to think about taking the high road and stuff like that, exploring that is no easy feat. But she confronts this really big idea and makes it quite digestible. And then she sings gorgeously. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really like a standard. Like she is a great songwriter. Yeah. You can really feel some of those personal places, some of those personal feelings. She gets specific without getting too specific. Like, she does not lay out all of his dirty laundry, all of their dirty laundry together. She just gives you hints and pieces so you get the feeling. Right? Yeah. You don't need the full circumstances of her divorce in order to be able to connect here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Production-wise, well done. Production is one of those things that's like an unsung hero. You know, if you do it good, nobody's going to tell. <laughs> no one can tell. But if you do it bad, everybody's like, oh, no, the production's bad. Uh, something's wrong. <laughs> uh, so whoever is producing, good job. <laughs> Cohesive, fit well, good flow of the album, composition-wise, order-wise. It's good. Beautiful. Love that. All right. Now that we've gone through all of the songs and I've given you my general review of the album, let's get into the Music Is More segment of the Music Is More podcast. First, I'd like to start this segment off with a little bit of brainstorming. You know, what do we talk about on this album? What are some of the concepts that we explored? Romantic betrayal. Divorce. Monogamy, cheating, chemistry, when to stop trying, long-term relationships, spotting red flags, stuff like that. (laughs) We talked about throughout this album. Now, what are we going to talk about for this music is more segment? Great question. I believe we're going to talk about divorce. So I went through a couple of the, you know, potentials, but I think divorce is so interesting. (laughs) And listen, I've never been divorced before. And even I've witnessed the divorce, but not like while I was like aware, you know, I was alive during a divorce, but (laughs) I don't have any memories or recollection of the divorce specifically. So, yeah, like, I'm not a divorce expert. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. But I just find it so fascinating. And I'll talk about divorce generally. And I'll explore some of the funny things, but just know that I don't have any, like, real-life experience. And (laughs) that's part of the fun of this whole thing. Like, I'm coming to you as a bystander, as a person in the world, but not necessarily a divorcee. And that's because I like to talk about things, even the things that aren't (laughs) exclusively pertinent to my life and stuff like that. So I want to talk about divorce. And first, I want to I did a little research because I'm not like full of experience. I went and researched some of the statistics surrounding divorce in the year of our Lord, 2023. Um, There's a Forbes article. So if you're just looking for some divorce stacks, that's where I got these. So 
I hear this stat very often that, you know, half of all marriages end in divorce. And according to the Forbes article, that's true, but only when it comes to first marriages. It's like, yeah, about half of first marriages are dissolved. In the case of Kelly Clarkson, her, this was her first marriage. It's not that important. It's just like to give you a um, real life example, I guess, <laughs> of what we're talking about. Anyway, second and third marriages actually fail at a higher rate, which is gagged. I'm gagged about that. I think that's so crazy. <laughs> so let's say you fucking try and get married. It doesn't work out the first time. You, if you try and get married a second time, chances are higher that it won't work out that second time. And chances are even higher that it won't work out that third time. So what I say all that to say no marriage. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting when you think of it, like a person who is has been divorced is also not looking at such a bright future when they're thinking about trying to get remarried. You know, sometimes third time's a charm. So don't knock it. Like stats are just a way to kind of visualize and they give you a general generic view of people's real lived lives. So don't take these statistics as like the rule of thumb. They're, they are merely observations and general ones at that. Okay, then some more stats. The average length of a marriage prior to divorce is eight years. Very interesting to me. It's very interesting. And it's eight years is nothing to sneeze at. Eight years is a long time. So you have to think like, how does somebody get eight years deep? And then that is like the median, the average length of a marriage to then get divorced. I hear married people kind of talk about like the humps along the way, like something about the seventh year is important. People talk about like the fifth year of marriage and over like overcoming that. I'm using air quotes. You can't see, but (laughs) Um, it's just interesting because eight years is a long time. So it's like there are many versions of the story to tell over the length of eight years, you know? Maybe that first year was good. Maybe that first four years was golden. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get to the fourth year, they just got their PhD or whatever. And now they're, they're acting all wacky, you know, stuff like that. Like there are many, many versions to the story if eight years is how long you're partnered with somebody on average before you get divorced. Next, next at. contested divorces usually take over a year to finalize i don't know how long kelly clarkson's uh divorce took to finalize um i think it was going on for a long time though you know they usually take over a year to finalize it's rare that you know a simple divorce is happening usually there is some contention especially after eight years you know it's probably not a clean breakup if you've been with them for eight years and you have eight years worth of stuff eight years worth of history eight years worth of family built you know um so on average it's higher than a year to get avoid the divorce finalized um divorce also comes at a big cost with couples spending an average of seven thousand dollars to dissolve their union Now, this is surprisingly 
a smaller amount than I was thinking. I was thinking it was costing people like their livelihoods. And so in some cases it does, especially for like highly contested stuff. Um, but on average, $7,000, that's still so much, right? A lot of people don't have $7,000 saved up, you know? Uh, ooh, <laughs> that's like half a car you're putting in there. You know what I'm saying? So pretty wild. Um, then decisions about family homes are some of the most contentious when a marriage ends and a property settlement is determined. This is a common issue that must be resolved as 53.4% of people divorced in 2022 own their own homes. So Kelly Clarkson did own a home and did come away with the home. But I find that, you know, in stories of divorce, the house is often the most contentious part. If people are not sure about whether or not, like who is going to get the divorce, if that has not, not divorce, if people aren't sure about who is going to get what assets ahead of time, then after the fact, it gets real messy, I feel like. And a home is nothing to sneeze about, especially in the market right now. So um, you're like, imagine you try and get divorced. You own a home with your husband and you're trying to go into the housing market. Either one of you is trying to go into the housing market again. It's like, no way, Jose. If we bought a house eight years ago, this not only is this house probably way more valuable now, but like it's almost impossible to get your hands on a house these days. So it's like this is I think the lesson that can be learned from these couple of stats is get a prenup if you're gonna get married. Just because the odds are not stacked in your favor. Like monogamy, long-term monogamy these days, I find very, very difficult to procure. You have to be matched with somebody like really, really good, (laughs) high, high quality in order to stand the test of time. And so if that probability that, you know, you or this partner are not going to be together forever, even if it marginally exists, you should probably talk about it beforehand. I saw this one prenup expert, um, kind of talking about like when you are going into the marriage, you both have love for each other. (laughs) You both have a love and a mutual respect for each other. So you can be a little bit more objective and a little bit more empathetic with one another about, oh, this is yours. Oh, this is mine. Also, you haven't undertaken the process of combining anything at that moment. So it's much easier to kind of extract your prenuptial um, possessions and what will go to you before you start combining things because then it's like oh should this be split up 65 percent to to 35 percent should this be 70 30 like yeah you start getting into the weeds of it and you don't want to do that with somebody that you might hate upon divorcing them so yes this is this is me telling you to get a prenup (laughs) if you don't do anything else that i talk about if you're not, if you're still dead set on marriage after we talk about divorce, then at least get a prenup. <laughs> so those are some stats. I just find it really interesting because in the U.S. A, the U.S. of A, marriage is a big milestone that a lot of people are interested in. It is societally and culturally done to have a marriage, to get partnered, to stay in a long-term monogamous relationship 
that is part of the like American dream white picket fence thing. I don't I have I have complicated feelings towards this, right? Because the messaging eventually becomes as you get older and older, you get a marriage no matter what. You you get partnered no matter what, no matter who, no matter the situation. It doesn't mean matter if he sucks. It doesn't matter if he disrespects you. It doesn't matter if you have to do things that are against your own moral conscience. Like you don't want to maybe have to cook and clean for him every night, but he wants that. So you should do that to get married to him. You know, the higher you get in age, because it's also connected to like your um, life phase that you're going through. Like people think that at a certain age, you should be locking it down. Um, the messaging just becomes more and more severe to women, I feel, especially. Like, men get that nudge and stuff, and they do it, but they don't do it out of, like, I feel, like, a sense of self. Men do it as, like, another checkbox standard men, like, societally influenced men get married, I feel, for the um, accomplishment of it. Like, oh, you've got your degree. It's just one of those things in the list. And while women also do it like a thing in the list, it's also connected to her worth, right? It's like, if you're a good woman, someone's going to marry you, right? Good women get, get husbands. It's not for men. It's not like good men get wives. It's just men get wives. You get wife. <laughs> you get wife as part of life. <laughs> and it's not like a, uh, it's not like, uh, a stain on your reputation if you're a 45 unmarried man, 45 year old unmarried man. Like, it's just fine. You're just like a bachelor. It's fine. You know, you don't suck. But if you're a 45 year old woman, like it's, oh man, you're over, you're done. You're not, you're not this, you're not that. Very much tied intrinsically to your worth. Anyway, back to divorce. <laughs> Marriage is such a cornerstone of our society. And when you uh, start to see the quality of marriages go down, you also see the quantity of divorce rates go up. Also, it was not always a possibility for a woman to get a, mar- to get a divorce, right? You couldn't do that for a long time. So yeah, <laughs> that, that too, like legally, it was not possible because of the patriarchy for you to get a divorce. So back then, everyone's like, oh, but people must be fucking in love with each other because they never get divorced. And it's no, I'm being held hostage. I cannot get divorced. This man, I depend on him for safety and security and money and, you know, all of that stuff. So I just cannot get divorced. But now women are empowered enough to make the choice Women and men alike, you know, because men also divorce their partners. But you're more empowered to uh, make that decision. It's not so much. It's not so much life and death for you to get divorced, even though in a lot of instances it still is. And women still have to make the difficult decision to leave a partner who they completely depend on because their marriage is so bad. Right. Back in the day, men were still being shits to women. So let's not even, I'll take it back. I'll not even imply that somehow marriages have gotten worse. It might just be the same. And, and now it's just a possibility for me to leave you if you're 
you know, being abusive towards me in a way that it wasn't, you know, 50 years ago. Marriages were probably shit back then, too, but you just could not leave. Anyway, what was I saying? (laughs) So because (laughs) I keep going on tangents about marriage and all that stuff, let's go back to divorce. Divorce has become a prominent piece of our culture because now women can um, initiate that process. So as often as women are getting divorced or as often as women are getting married, they can too now get divorced. Um, if it turns out that, you know, this, this person isn't who they thought they were, or it just isn't working, whatever. Um, and then society has a very, has a, it's very derisive to about divorce. There's a lot of derision (laughs) regarding it. Um, disdain. People are, feel like contempt towards people who get divorced um, on the larger society scale. It's got its roots in patriarchy and it's also got its roots in religion because marriage is also can, is also related to religion for whatever reason. I think that the actual um, concept of marriage was like an economic one, but then it got tied intrinsically to like religion because of the patriarchy and the way they kind of bleed into each other. So it's like you have to be married in this way and you have to respect your husband and blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh my God. Like, oh my God. <laughs> anyway, so there's that religious aspect as well. Like, you know, people in your church or whatever might also consider you to be sitting in the act of divorcing someone. It's just looked down upon. It's not good. You don't want to get divorced. And I find it funny because often people cannot like cite the text or whatever that is like, oh, don't get divorced. (laughs) Like if you'd ask a Christian, a staunch Christian pastor, like why divorce is bad, like I don't think that they would be able to put their finger on it. It's got a lot to do with patriarchy and less to do with like godliness, in my opinion. Anywho, so there's this negative viewpoint because I feel that the powers that be expect women to suffer, expect people to suffer in marriages in order to like further the cause, in order to continue to pump out the working class via their children. And, you know, combine their two-person household and income and, you know, go the chosen path, right? That is the, the American dream is also just like the societally reinforced pathway. That's what the, the powers that be want you to do. They want you to get married and have children and buy a house, you know, and contribute to society in that way. You can contribute it to society in a multitude of ways. It doesn't just have to be in this standardized way, but this is the way that like you are supported. Every, every institution is supporting those that go about this path in this way. And so there's a lot of derision for people who, who go off the beaten path in several different ways. And divorce is just another one of those, right? You could go off the beaten path by, you know, not being straight. 
You could go off the beaten path by getting married late. You could go off the beaten path by not going to college, whatever. And there's derision. You're met with derision in all of these areas if you decide to go away from the norm. Um, but divorce, <laughs> I feel like people have a, a special relationship with divorce in their head because up until then, you are usually on that path, the straight and narrow, right? People are expecting of you to fulfill the like social contract in this way. And if you have divorced somebody, then it's like a big, <laughs> it's like a big, um, big, uh, de- detour, right? You, you've gotten, you've, you've done the, high school, you've done the college, you've done the marriage, you've done the kids at this point, probably you've done the house. People are like, you got it. Just, just go for gold. Just take it home. And divorcees are like, actually no. And then people are like, what the fuck? (laughs) And when you're young and you don't go to college, people are like, oh, you're young. You know, (laughs) there's a little bit of like give and take there. But at this point you fooled everyone. And, you know, I'm being I'm being facetious like it's not it's not you're not actually fooling everyone and you can choose to do something different anytime you want. Remember that anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, you're, you're met with a lot of like sh- public shaming, like people think less of you. They're like, oh, man, she couldn't stick it out. They couldn't stick it out together. Like, why is that something you value? Why do you want me to stick it out with somebody like okay you fucking weirdo like i'm supposed to suffer they're like oh they (laughs) they couldn't see it through yeah because uh, it's like a race like they want you to run on your sprained ankle they're like just just deal with it just keep going just push through the pain until you get to the finish line which is death okay let's talk about that they're like run for 30 more years on this fucking sprained ankle and when you tap out they're like oh my god you're a little bitch like you couldn't take that sprained ankle you couldn't take that 30 more miles. You can take that. <laughs> it's like, okay, calm down. Like, yeah, you're not supposed to suffer in your life. And a lot of these married bitches, that's what they won't tell you that they're suffering all for the sake of being married to a certain extent. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So you're going to have a divorce. If you, <laughs> if you have a marriage and then, the marriage material sucks because we don't raise men to be good partners to their wives, then, okay, yes, you're going to see people divorce. And it just is what it is. When I think, why does divorce happen? I talked about it earlier with that like whole eight-year average. Why might somebody after the eighth year say, this is no more? I think by the eighth year, it becomes apparent that you're reaching a precipice, right? (laughs) Eight years, you're like, it's been a while. Let me reconsider. Do I want another eight years of this? Eight years, maybe you're 36, you know? You married when you were 28, you did, you did, is this good math? Yeah. Maybe you married when you were 28. Now you're in your 30s, you're 36, and you're married, and he sucks. (laughs) or she sucks men too they suck this person that you're married to and you say okay after eight years it's probably not likely that they're gonna start doing things wildly differently they've shown you after eight years if they can or and or are willing to form new habits to better love and support you right 
And by that point, you can probably be sure that whatever they've shown you is what it's going to be. <laughs> and you have to make that calculation. Do I want eight more years with this person? And I think it's at the eight year mark that you're like, no. <laughs> at the five year mark, you're like, it's been five years. And, but you're like, maybe I should give it a couple more years. You know, maybe <laughs> at five years, he's like, I'll go to couples therapy. I'll do a couple little things here and there. Like, we can do this. And you're like, okay, yeah, it's fine. And then you're three years down further. And you're like, oh, shit, nothing has ever lasted. We only went to couples therapy for like six months false sense of security was developed and now I've been duped and now it's been eight years. <laughs> so there's so many stories. And then, so a lot of the time people cite like irrevocable differences, but what really makes people divorce each other? I think there's the cheating thing. If you are a cheater, let's talk about this. <laughs> I might have to do a separate podcast episode specifically about cheating because I've got beef with it all. But if you're a cheater, there is recourse for you, but you have to seek that recourse. I don't think that you can just one day wake up and not be a cheater and have seen the light and just never cheat again without doing some kind of internal work. So lots of people get divorced because of cheating, and often it's not just a one-off, oh, he cheated once. It's like he's a habitual cheater. And he doesn't want to go and get that sorted out, so he's just going to keep cheating on me. So time to divorce. I think cheating is a divorce-worthy offense. (laughs) Um, More on that in whatever cheating episode that I decide (laughs) I'm going to do. Why else does divorce happen? Divorce also happens because of abuse. And I also think cheating is a form of of abuse, but that is another story. I keep going back. Abuse, verbal abuse and emotional abuse and physical abuse will also be the cause of divorce in some instances. And people hold these different types of abuse to different levels of scrutiny, right? With physical abuse coming in at the top, right? A lot of people will hear about physical domestic abuse and be like, okay, you know, that is divorce worthy. Um, There's a consensus about that. Even though there's like a general consensus, there are still a few outliers who will tell you to keep doing it, to, to keep being in a relationship with somebody who is physically abusive. Those people deserve to rot in hell. In whatever hell of their mind. I don't even really believe in hell, but if they believe in hell, they deserve to rot there if you're telling somebody to stay in a physically abusive relationship. Anyway, that is, yeah. But then people hold that to a higher regard. So if you aren't being physically abused, people just don't think you're being abused. And that is simply not the case. I hold all three of these in similar, um, in similar statures in my mind, right? All three verbal, emotional, and physical abuse, I think are divorce worthiness. I will not compare them. I don't say one is worse than the other or anything like that. I think that all three are divorceable. And I don't think that there's a consensus on that. Some people aren't even aware that verbal abuse is a thing. 
emotional abuse is a thing. You know, so there can be a consensus when people are still in the process of denying their existence. You see what I'm saying? But I hold all three in like a highly offensive regard. If you're and often I think it's a matter of degrees, like if your person can hurt you verbally, then what really stops them from going a couple steps further? You know, if they can hurt you emotionally. If they can hurt you at all. For me, one of one of my um, big red flags, one of my deal breakers is if a person ever gets malicious or mean to me. I saw somebody really perfectly on TikTok um, verbalize this, but they were like, that is one. Like, I can tolerate a lot of things like you can be an addict and I'll still love you. You can be, you know, you can be this and I'll still love you. But if you are mean, if you are malicious, if you attack me with the intent to hurt me then that is a big, big red flag. And I find that that really knows no bounds, right? If a person can make an evil jab at you verbally, then it's not so far-fetched that they can do the same physically. And so that is part of the reason why I I hold them all in the same category of just like abuse and unacceptable. So that also happens and that also is a um motivator for divorce uh so there's a ton of different things sometimes it's just as simple as like neglect like maybe you're being neglectful maybe you're not being intentional but about the relationship uh, a lot of people will um participate in these kind of and these kind of unbalanced relationships in which one person is very career driven and the other person is a housemaker. And while that can be successful, if this person is so busy that they're not emotionally contributing to the household at all, then I don't think that a loving long-term relationship can be formed on that, right? It's fine if one of you is a career maker, but make sure that that's not the only thing that you're making. It can't be like Okay, you do every single 100% of the housing, of the, of the caretaking, of the child rearing, and I do 100% of the earning and, um, you know, going out into the world for our family and, and getting stuff. Because I just think that no one person is suited to do one thing 100% of the time. If you get what I'm saying, it can, it can become really unbalanced and unfulfilling. Like, even if I am the homemaker, like it doesn't mean that sometimes I don't want to work, you know, and to have it cut and dry. So, so um, drastically, I think kind of doesn't allow for any wiggle room and there has to be wiggle room for a long-term situation in my opinion. Um, so yeah, tons of reasons, tons of reasons. Why doesn't divorce happen? Why do people stay together? Back to the societal pressure, I find, right? There's a lot of external reasons influencing people to get married and then also to stay married. Not only is the programming to get married and find somebody, but it's also don't ever divorce this person. That is part of the programming as well. That's part of the societal expectation as well. And so, A lot of people stay in situations forever and for too long 
for longer than they know that they should because of that external factor. Um, and I think a lot of the times it's exclusively <laughs> because of that external factor. Like everything internally is showing you that you need to leave. If everything internally is shouting, then what else is there? It's external. It's, oh, what will they think? Oh, what will this person think? Oh, what will this look like if we, what will it look like to other people if we get divorced? So it's important to always, to, to, to think about what, what role the external world plays in your marriage or your, you staying married or whatever, like, and know that the external people often don't have your best interest in mind, but instead their best interest in in mind, you know? So keep that in mind. Okay. Um, and then I think too, a lot of our language surrounding divorce point blame at other people and people are so afraid of being blamed. The truth is that you probably can be blamed. It probably is your fault or your person's fault in some capacity, right? The thing is, we have to share in the blame and not equally share, but <laughs> but realistically share in the blame, right? If I'm in a partnership and this partner is abusive, they are to blame for our divorce. Boom. Okay. I might rethink this later, but this is how I feel right now, right? They're to blame. It's fine to point fingers if it's true. You sucked. Now I have to get divorced from you. Now, there are only, there are certain things that you could, you know, internalize or a person could internalize about the role that they played in the divorce. Maybe they picked wrong. Also, we can't take equal blame for you abusing me. Like, okay, so, and like, that's part of the reason why you go to court, <laughs> you get a lawyer. It's so that we can really hash it out. Whose fault is it <laughs> that we're getting divorced? And there's no fault divorce, divorces that happen as well for those instances where it's really hard to tell. Like maybe we both just like gave up or we both just kind of suck to each other. We're both, um, we just both suck. And sometimes you just both suck. You know, sometimes you are the perfect mix of like wrong to each other. <laughs> He's a little asshole and you're passive aggressive. Like, you know, there might be cases such as that. Or maybe you just like don't work out. Like it just falls apart, whatever. So there's no fault divorces for that reason. But ultimately, when you're going to get that divorce and you're trying to get a lawyer to mediate, there's a lot of pointing fingers. And the court gets to decide, like, who's right? <laughs> like, whose fault is it? Who should get the house? Who should get the cars? <laughs> All that. So, if, if it's, of course, be introspective and say, what could I have, I have done better? But also don't be a martyr, right? Also say, he was a cheater. He was a liar. They sucked. Okay. Then I also want to talk about when is it time to get a divorce? The eight years thing just keeps rattling around in my brain because <laughs> I don't think I would last eight years not living it up, right? If I'm getting married 
I want it to be a joyful experience. And so sometimes, of course, it's possible that on the eighth year exactly is when your partner starts acting up. But it's much more likely that you've been fighting the good fight for eight years. (laughs) When is it time to give up? And not even to give up. I don't want to phrase it like that. Because you're not necessarily giving up when you divorce somebody. But when is it time to get divorced? (laughs) I was talking to my friend about this recently because she's like, I don't know what's a deal breaker. (laughs) And it's hard to say what's a deal breaker until you're there and you're like, this is a deal breaker. (laughs) But sometimes you look back and you say, oh, my God, so many of these things should have been deal breakers. (laughs) And. Shout out to my friend, because I think it's important to do that work before you get into your marriage or you get into your relationship. What is a deal breaker for me? What won't I tolerate and have your boundaries set up in advance? Because this is also one of my favorite phrases. This is what I've learned in like the past year is that if you do not proactively set your boundaries, people are going to ask. People are going to push them. Because they just don't know what they are and you don't know what they are. So then if you haven't set your boundaries proactively and said, okay, if my if my partner fucking cheats on me, that's it. If you haven't done that, then when they cheat, you have to do the whole calculation. and You have to say, is this a deal breaker? Should I be really upset about this? Like and in the moment, it's really hard to make an accurate calculation about what is and isn't a deal breaker, because by then You're in love with this person. You can't be objective about this person. You're like, oh, man, maybe it's not a deal breaker. Oh, man, what if it is? You know, so you have to proactively do that work to think about what it is that is will make it time to get a divorce. Right. Some things that are on my mind as signals that it's time to get a divorce. If your partner's given up on working on something, if you've, you know, broached a problem, a an issue, something you want to work on with them, and they are just not willing to work on it. How can you tell that they're not willing to work on it? They aren't putting any in any time. They aren't being proactive about it themselves. They don't bring it up in conversation themselves. You're always the one bringing it up, right? They're not making any progress. They don't care about it. Those are some examples. So if I've said to my partner, I really don't like it when you If you're like, I don't like the way that you, (laughs) or you're like, I would really like it if you spoke to me in our conflict in a more respectful way. You bring it up. They say, yes, we'll work on it. They never work on it. They don't go to therapy. They don't read any books. And every time you get in an argument, they're still being disrespectful. That's a red flag on the play, right? You don't have a partner in this anymore. That's, oh, oh, I'm thinking deal breaker, deal breaker, because, oh, that's not what we agreed. Like, and in the long term, there are going to be other things like this that I probably will need you to compromise on for me. And if you can't do that, then that's, that spells out the end of our relationship. So thinking to yourself, like, what is a good partner to me? And what is a partner that I cannot grow with? I cannot proceed into the future with cheating you know have that in your mind if they cheat on me I want to get a divorce that's what I'm going to move for that's what I'm going to do okay or if they cheat on me we have to get separated it doesn't have to be so like black and white like this is it's 
this or that, but just having in your mind, like, this is going to cause me to pause on our relationship. This is going to cause me to question my relationship. We're going to have to do some intense work if it's cheating, if it's um, them being disrespectful, if it's like the way that they parent, whatever it is. If they're ever disrespectful to my kids, that's it. You know, stuff like that. Have that in your mind. Um, yes. So we've kind of talked about all these things about divorce. I want to talk a little bit more about like my personal view of divorce. When I see somebody going through a divorce, I, my immediate thought is, dang, like that sucks. <laughs> that sucks. Even if the divorce has to happen. Right. Even if I look at the situation objectively and say, yes, that is a divorceable offense. It is still unfortunate that it had to end in a divorce. Like I'm not wishing divorce on anyone because it's just such a hard thing to have to go through. It is difficult, even in the most simple of times, even if you're doing a no contested, no fault kind of divorce, it's still going to cost you money. It's still going to cost you time. It's still going to be a heartbreak, right? Like, it it just sucks. Like, I would never wish that on anybody because it just sucks to do that. Um, And it sucks for all parties. So it sucks for you. It sucks for your partner who you're getting divorced from. It sucks for your families. It sucks for your mom, your dad, your grandma, whoever has been intertwined in your two couple. It sucks for your kids any offspring that you have, you know, all that. It just sucks all around. So I don't wish it upon people. And I think people should take marriage a bit more seriously because it sucks so hard to get divorced. (laughs) If it was easy to get divorced, I'd say everybody get married, you know, (laughs) do it. You know, try your hand at long-term monogamy. Just go ahead, go and go for it. But it's so fucking hard to get divorced. So I'm like, everyone should take a second look before they get married because it sucks ass. Like, you should really think about that. If you're getting married, you should be thinking about how fucking awful it would be to get divorced. Just to scare yourself. Just so that you are in touch with reality. He there. It's painful for everyone. And another understated part of divorce is that it's often the last resort because it is so painful for every party. I believe that society would have you believe that everybody's just popping, popping divorces like pills, like they're just doing it excessively. Like, you know, women, like, like man hating feminists just divorce left and right. And while the divorce rate is high, it's not something easily done. I don't think that there are a lot of people who are flippant about divorce. It's kind of like the same messaging about abortion. Like, they're like, everybody's getting abortions. Everybody, every, <laughs> people are just popping abortion pills. Like, it's nothing. Like, blah, blah, blah. No. Actual abortions, and I'm not even talking about plan B here. Actual abortions are hard. They're painful. They are the last resort. I don't think people understand that. It's kind of the same about divorces. Like, I'm not just flippantly choosing to divorce somebody. I've thought long and hard about it. Usually it takes people eight years to get there. I'm doing it as a last resort. I cannot see myself ever being happy in this long-term relationship with this person, so I have to get divorced. 
And the fact that people think that that people who get divorced do it flippantly engenders a lot of like disrespect for people who get divorced. It's like, oh, how could you? I could. How could I? This is this was the only option. This was my my final option. It was either get divorced or be miserable. And a lot of people are like, why didn't you just choose to continue to stay miserable? And that's awful to say to someone. I would never tell somebody who got divorced that they should have stayed married. Like, what? Why would I ever say that? It, people really believe that you should suffer. <laughs> I really feel that way. Like, a lot of the powers of be reinforce suffering. Like, you just deal with it. <laughs> you just have to grin and bear it. Like, I'm not suffering. Sorry to that man. I am not suffering. And you shouldn't either. Don't suffer. Don't, don't do it. It's your life. You don't have to suffer. They just make you think that. Okay. <laughs> and so it's like a necessary evil at the end of a marriage. It's like, I, I have to divorce you because it sucks. It just sucks. Everything sucks. So this is where we are. Um, and then, yeah. Like, I think there should be a lot more grace for people who have to get divorced because they've made a healthy decision in distancing themselves from a negative relationship. They've made a healthy decision for themselves. Like, even though divorce sucks in the moment, the long-term effects can be for your benefit, can be to the benefit of you, yourself and your loved ones. Like, a lot of people say, like, oh, man, I'm not going to get divorced because what about the kids? All the while, the kids are witnessing you be in a miserable union with somebody you don't really fuck with. And it's really messing them up. So the divorce would suck, yes, for the kids. It, it just would because it sucks for everybody. But having a divorce suck for a year and, you know, maybe you have to split and you have to move houses or whatever. That one year of uncomfortability can pave the way to a lifetime of additional happiness for yourself and for your children, right? Because you are not just suffering in a marriage and they see that you can pivot, that you can go and do something that makes you happy instead of staying with this person who doesn't make you happy. So yes, it sucks to be kids of divorced parents, but it also sucks to be a kid of uh, a couple that should have gotten divorced but didn't, you know, because they grow up knowing that you should, you should probably not be together, but you just are. <laughs> because kids know. That, too, I think also the, like, infantilization of children. Like, oh, man, what about the kids? Like, okay, but the kids pick up on everything. Like, kids know everything that happens in their house because it's their fucking house. <laughs> so it's like you are not successfully hiding your misery from your kid so they know that you should be divorced and then also like at least everyone would be on the same page like you're not hiding anything if you just go ahead and, and bite the bullet like now everyone's on the same page your kid knows you should be divorced you are divorced and it just is what it is <laughs> oh lord yeah it's complicated it's difficult um, but also sometimes necessary. And sometimes you come out on the other side having realized things about yourself that you never would have if you hadn't gotten divorced. So, yeah. 
And those are my thoughts on divorce. I've had so much fun uh, going through uh, this whole album and then talking about divorce with you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed. If you've made it this far, congratulations, because you've made it to the end of this episode. I really enjoyed going through Kelly Clarkson's chemistry with you guys. Um, Hope that you can tune into the conversation. Find us on social media at Music Is More almost everywhere, I'm pretty sure. And uh, as a little special treat, I've attached the bloopers for this episode. So um, if you're interested in hearing me cuss and ramble and say words that don't exist, feel free to listen to that. Uh, And if not, I'll catch you on the next episode. Bye, guys. Then wrap that up with a general overview of the album album. And in those first couple seasons, like there were some really great winners, like um a couple of people. <laughs> I don't want to name I I I blanked as soon as I tried to start naming them. Um like Fantasia won American Idol. I want to say Luther Vandross, but not him. Someone else. Damn it. Who fucking now I have to go look at who won because I've done this to myself. Let's go look. Rupert Ru no. Keep trying, Ayana. Ruben stuttered. There we go. Fuck. I got him and Luther Vandross confused. I'm sorry. I don't know why. I don't I can't even picture Luther Vandross's face. Anyway. It's got 14 songs, a 45, what? Jason Halbert and Jesse Shatkin, as well as Eric, Sima, what the fuck, and Rachel Orsha. I'm saying these people's names wrong. I'm so sorry. But apparently they are longtime collaborators. I'm so nosy as a person. Hold on. There's a card. You look back at those times and say, that's a red flag. I should not have been so, 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 um, what, what else is that? I didn't like mine that much. And I didn't live for, which one did I live for? I guess it's just mine that I was like, yeah, maybe not a little bit. Oh. I was like, yeah, this came out of nowhere. The bridge came out of nowhere. Where did the bridge come out of nowhere from? I have to go find it. Because I'm crazed. Oh, no, it's just mine. Okay. You know, I hear the stat thrown away very uh, derisive derisive is that a word yeah derisive <laughs> it's like it's like a race like they want you to run on your sprained ankle and they're like i can't believe hold on
I'm gonna put. I'm gonna pick something kind of arbitrary. When you uh, like other girls' pictures on the gram, if I've said that, we've hashed it out, and he's agreed that he doesn't want to do that because it makes me feel a certain type of what type of way. But he continues to do it. He continues to do it and then never mentions it again. I'm always the one. He's like, oh, oh, yeah, we're we're not working on this together anymore. And that's a red flag to me. And I'm, the liking Instagram thing is too arbitrary. I have to think of something else. Oh. Even my worst enemy, I would not wish divorce upon them 